Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking with Courtney Anderson, a sober coach, podcast host, and author of the new book, Sober Vibes, which came out on August 15th. So if you're listening to this on the day it launches, it's available now and it released just two days ago. Courtney is the founder of Sober Vibes, an online community for the sober and sober curious. She also founded National Sober Day, celebrated on September 14th. And today we're going to, of course, be talking about Courtney's book, but also about the first 90 days of sobriety and what to expect, which I know is so relevant for so many of you who are interested in going alcohol-free, but are finding the first couple months, the first couple weeks, really difficult. And trust me, I was there for years and years. She's going to talk about empowered relapse prevention. And we're going to chat about how to socialize in sobriety. So if you are in the early phases of 
going alcohol-free, if you're sober, curious, and wondering what to expect, if you're looking for useful, practical tools, uh, this episode is for you. So Courtney, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you again because you were on my podcast and we had a great conversation. We did. We did. It was great to talk to you. So I was excited to have you on one because love your book. I actually wrote a little blurb for your book. So I read it and I love it. And the beginning of sobriety. So hard, right? Uh-huh. That's very hard. It's very hard because you're you're doing something new. And anytime you choose to do something new and it's in change, it's it's a tough process. Yeah. And we have so many decades of ingrained beliefs and sort of like automatic habits around alcohol. I was texting with a client this morning and she was like, you know, she's doing great. She's at 40 days. She's feeling incredible. And then had like three bad things happen to her at once. And she was like, oh my God, I want to drink. And she didn't. Um, She used all the other tools, but it is just that automatic, almost unconscious, you know, knee jerk reaction of these three bad things happen. My solution is grab a drink. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, it's normal. It's also normal to miss, you know, miss alcohol, but not want it in your life. Because eventually down the road, you do have that where you're like, oh, like kind of romanticize it, but then be like, no, I don't want that. But I I miss the old me from time to time. And I miss that relationship that I um, had with the drink. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely is like sort of a love hate relationship or a toxic boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm. And as you get further away, you remember the highlights and not how much you wanted to change sort of the rut you were in. One thing that I think is really interesting that my husband said to me when I had him on the podcast was because I was like, yeah, it just made me feel X and Y and Z and I loved it. And he was like, yeah, how much of that was the alcohol you're missing? Or how much of that is you miss being 27 before kids and adulting and a mortgage and your schedule? And I was like, ooh, yeah, I really miss being 27, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, absolutely. And again, I just want to keep saying it that those feelings are all okay and are all valid because I think to... When you start saying stuff like that, it's like people all of a sudden will suddenly be like, well, are you going to drink? Are you going to drink? And I talk about this in the book where it's like, no, you're you're not listening. Like, I'm just stating a feeling. And just because you have a feeling, one doesn't always mean that you that it's true, right? Like, so and the second thing is that you don't have to act upon that feeling. Yes. You can take the pause. But yes, and that's why it's too, you know. At 19 years old, when I started drinking, because I waited till I was 19, because for so long, I was like, no, 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 I don't want to become an alcoholic, you know, like family members. And then, of course, at 19, I um, I live in the suburbs of Detroit. So we could go over to Windsor. And that was about a 20 minute drive. And Windsor, the drinking age is 19. So like, I fell in love with them. And as soon as I drank, I was like, oh, this is great. But I didn't start at 19 to be like, I have a problem right off the bat. It eventually grew to something that was darker and evil. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. Well, 
So let's talk about the first 90 days of Mm -hmm. sobriety and what to expect. So really what to expect the first 90 days is probably people aren't going to want to hear this, but this is the truth because people need to be truthful when it comes to sobriety and recovery. And the first 90 days are going to be uncomfortable. So you can expect a lot of uncomfortableness. The second thing you can really expect, especially too, if you do not get the pink cloud. And if you've heard the term pink cloud before and you haven't experienced it yet, it's really where you feel euphoric. You quit drinking and you're like, oh my God, this is great. But I'm going to tell you something. That cloud and that bubble will burst in time, whether you're 120 days in or, you know, 1200 days in, it will eventually burst. So what's great, if you don't get it those first 90 days, you go through that uncomfortableness and almost where then you're like, okay, I'm dealing with this. This is uncomfortableness. I'm not in this euphoria yet, but you will get into your own type of euphoria down the road. Mm-hmm. The first 90 days too, as I, um, as I wrote about, you know, it's very good as well to understand that you can say no to social settings. You don't have to say yes to everything. And I actually highly recommend for people to take like a 30 day social socialization break. Okay. I know some people are probably listening like that's not possible. It actually is. You know, I understand that sometimes if you have a, and I'm not talking about like your daughter's soccer game. That's not, that's not, I'm talking about like, the going out after with the parents where all you used to do was sit there and drink IPAs and get fucked up, right? Let's not go there. Go to the soccer game, call it a day, go home. You know, even to work events, you don't have to go to those unless, of course, they're mandatory. But I don't know that a lot of after work events are mandatory, right? And so a lot of those events, it's okay to say no to, because what you want to do in those first 90 days is really build a nice, solid foundation, especially when you're getting through that uncomfortable stage. Yeah. And and also cravings are worse, right? Like right at the beginning, I mean, you want to drink and that's muscle memory and that's habit and that's how you have fun and comfort yourself. And that's also you know, you're in physical withdrawal. I mean, I didn't really go out my first 30 days. And for me, it was easier because I live in Seattle. It was February. I had two little kids, right? So it's not that I didn't do anything that was fun or for me, but like I got takeout, I got pedicures, I had a massage on Saturday afternoon, Mm -hmm. I went to the gym and sat in the steam room and did laps, I exercised in the morning and I binged on bad TV and read novels. Like that wasn't a terrible time other than navigating my entire life without drinking, which was really hard and being like, oh my God, what am I going to have for dinner? And what am I going to do? And what does this mean? And am I not going to drink for the rest of my life? Right. But not going to bars and happy hours, it doesn't mean your life's going to suck. It means you're actually expanding the universe of things you do that you enjoy that you've ignored for a long time. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, too. Like you, I I mean, for almost 90 days, I I sat at home because a lot of my drinking and for women, it's one of two ways. You're either very social with it or you're sitting at home drinking Chardonnay on your couch and crying. And to the women who go out and be social, usually you end up back at home crying. I was going to say, I did both. I drank seven (laughs) nights a week. So I was really social and home on my couch with my computer open drinking. Right. So, but when you, so those like first 90 days, because I didn't have hobbies, I had to Google hobbies, which I still laugh about to this day. And when I first quit drinking, which was back in 2012. So it wasn't like there was all of this social media boom. I had AA as my option. And so also just because that is there, that can't make up your whole entire life. How long ago did you stop drinking out of curiosity and how old were you? So I, so, um, August 18th of 2012, I stopped drinking. Yeah. So, and I was, um, 29 years old and I was about six weeks shy of turning 30. Like I was going to go to Vegas. I'd still to this day, I've never been to Vegas. So I think the universe did not want me in Sin City in my drinking days. And so all I knew was work and drinking. Drinking was my hobby. If you're listening to this and you resonate with that, it is okay. That's okay. But there's somewhere inside of you where there are, you're going to find that there are things that you like to do and you're going to pick up a hobby. So during that time, and this is when streaming started on Netflix. And so I had to stream Friday Night Lights. I will forever love that TV show because I had to watch something wholesome. I had to take a pause on The Real Housewives and I modge podge picture frames. I had to keep my hands busy and I had to sit in my house because again, all of my drinking, a lot of it was social. So I had to get very comfortable in my own skin and in my own house and be okay just sitting still. Yeah. And I know a lot of people too, they drink in their house, which I did as well. And so obviously like going out to a bar or a restaurant with my girlfriends who always ordered multiple bottles of wine, I needed to avoid that. But even when I was home, I had to change my routine. So I would try to like get dinner out of the way pretty quickly, pretty early. And then I would, when I put my, I mean, my daughter was super young. She was two. I would go rock her to sleep. And instead of, you know, getting out of there as quickly as possible to get back to my wine on the couch, I would just stay up there with her and hold her and um, rock her and listen to audiobooks or sober podcasts in my earbuds. And then I'd go to my room and put on like the essential oil diffuser and like read a book and binge a show. I, I think binging shows is a legit way to get through early sobriety, like a really good one. Oh, yeah, 100%. And like, no, you're not when it comes to that too much to talk about because then people are like, well, you know, because I, I am a, I am a huge supporter of rest. You need to rest to those, those first 90 days. You don't understand because you do, you don't understand how much damage you've done to your body. And that's not to say to scare you. It's just the reality of the situation when you're drinking poison every day or five days a week for a period of 10 years. Or plus, right? Um, so you are going to go through that detox and you are going to go through withdrawal, which you should talk to a doctor about first before you just quit drinking alcohol. But then you hit pause. So and in pause, which is post-acute withdrawal syndrome, you will experience being tired. And then, you know, and a lot of people always ask me like, 
when is this tiredness going to be over? And it's like, when your body is not, is not tired anymore. You can't, not every one person hits the, like not everybody hits the same marks. And that's what people don't understand. It's like, it's your body is completely different than my body and how it processes things and the rest that it needs. I don't, I am a mother of an almost two year old. So like, I'm sure quitting drinking alcohol, when you quit drinking alcohol, that you were tired. Yeah. <laughs> Having two kids and one being a two-year-old, like, they're a lot of work. Yes. A lot I would of work. say yes. And I started going to bed really early versus yes. drinking on the couch and not having the 3 a.m. wake-ups and not being hungover in the morning. Like, I feel like it evened out. Like, I wasn't more tired than I was when I was drinking every day. Um, I slept a lot more though. And like, I actually allowed myself to nap on the weekends because I wasn't worried that my husband would think I was hungover, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, your body is exhausted from the constant ups and downs and highs and lows you're putting it through. So you're going to need to rest. I think listening to your body is so important like that the silly thing is it's like oh my god i'm so tired and it's like rest that's the answer like you're actually taking care of yourself this episode is brought to you by better help i don't know about you but i cannot believe how fast this year is flying by we're all busy but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective 
than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi is being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, and for people who have a hard time with like, I'm resting, I, I got to be doing this, this, and this, you know, you, you little high achievers, you, you need to rest because resting will be the most important, one of the most important, quote unquote, tools you can start doing for yourself. You have to also understand that in your drinking days, you were never getting a proper night's sleep. And alcohol actually did the opposite. So you, so even though if you were like, oh man, I passed out last night, I had great sleep, like you really didn't. So that plays also into effect of when you start getting sober and living a life without alcohol. But yeah, and to going to bed early, start, get your circadian rhythm, like get it going down. The, the one thing that I worked super hard on was that because I worked in the restaurant industry for years and years and years. So the last night I stopped drinking was my last bar shift. And so I was like a person who came home at 2 a.m., you know, partied through the night, slept most of the day. I was that person on that schedule. So it took me a really long time then to flip it to get myself on the quote unquote nine to five. I think this is really interesting because your life and your schedule is very different than mine was. And I actually think it's super helpful to have different people talk about how they did it and what their life was like. So you were bars, restaurant industries, drinking out 2am. I was a decade older than you. So I stopped drinking a few months after my 40th birthday. And so I was work, 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 get home at 6pm with the kids, open a bottle of wine, you know, drink it, Mm -hmm. sometimes open a second, be passed out on the couch by 1030. Um, And then up, I would get up still, sometimes at 530 to go work out with like a bottle of wine in my belly, which was a fucking nightmare doing burpees, putting your head below your arms, you know, at 6 a.m. But if not, I was scrambling myself out of bed at 7.30 to get the kids ready and wandering into work, like with a huge smile and a brutal headache. So Uh very different. And yet the emotions and the physical things you're going through are exactly the same. The same. And like, here's the thing. So you had your like five o'clock itch, right? Oh, God. Of wanting that alcohol. I had mine at like nine o'clock. Like, so, and we all have the same itch. It just, it hits us differently on what our schedule is. And that's why too, like, that's why in, in the process of sobriety and recovery, you really have to tailor your sobriety and recovery to you. And that's what I tried to do, um, in this book. That's why there's journal prompts in there. Like, you have to really figure it out for yourself. You cannot be like, okay, well, she did this, this, and this. And it's like, well, that's great. But like I said, you don't know what that person's schedule was. You don't know what they have on their plate. What their triggers are. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of women who drank at home 
Mm-hmm. They need to actually leave their house around 5.30 to 7.30 or whatever it is, um, whether it's switch off with their partners. I mean, they may not be able to do it every day, but maybe twice a week mm-hmm. or um, get really easy dinners. Like in the summer, get take a picnic to yeah. a park with your kids. Just pick up sandwiches and, mm-hmm. you know, a drink and stay out there, you know, uh, for a little while or start eating earlier and then going to an evening workout class or, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's great advice to tailor, you know, don't just imitate what other people do. Like there's a universe of things that would help you. What are some of those journal prompts in your books that as someone getting started with this process and trying to figure out what they need, what are some of the things that they might journal about? Well, one journal prop that I have in there a multiple amount of times because it's the most important of what you have to stay connected to the reasoning of why you quit drinking, not the reason of what brought you to drinking, because that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing you'll figure out down the road. Don't rush that because once you figure it out, you're going to be like mind blown. I need to binge watch some television for two days and healthy disassociate. But the one constant journal prompt that I have in there, it's probably, I think, in there about four times because it takes you through the process of the first three months without alcohol is what is your why of quitting drinking? And that is something. And this is, you know, as I will hit... 11 on the 18th of August, my why has continuously changed. So in the beginning, it was, of course, like I was good and tired. I lost my rescue cat for the second time. I, um, you know, told my boyfriend a million times I wanted to kill him. The last night I, I stood over her bed and threatened his life. And it was the failed opportunities. It was the 10 year cycle of just being in the shame and guilt. So that was a why in the beginning. And then as life continued to move on and through the process, it's like my why changed. Yeah. When I had my son and when I had my son, so that was two, almost two years ago. And then when he was born, because as you know, as being a mom, those first like four or five months are wonky. I started getting wonky because I was sleep deprived. And as I said earlier, I worked really hard to get my sleep. In a certain, in I feel the, like is an extraordinarily kind word for what you said. I told my girlfriend who was like, Oh my God, she and her husband, she thinks he walks on the moon. They've been together since they're 18 or whatever. And I had my son four months before she had her son. And I was like, just so you know, everybody wants to get divorced at six weeks. Like that was actually my personal experience. I was like, you are going to viscerally hate your husband. Now, if you guys didn't go through this listening, God bless you. But I was just, you know, your first child, you're like, what the actual fuck? Like my life has shrunk by 80%, you know, and I'm doing all this stuff. And the kid screams at me constantly. And you've like somehow modified your life 20% and think you're a hero. And, you know, and she was like, absolutely not. Maddie's incredible, whatever. And then six months in, she was like, I'm fucking going to my parents. If I knew I was going to be a single mother, I would have done X, Y, Z. And I was like, all right, good. Not good. But I was like, this is a phase. Like having your first child is brutal. Brutal. 
And I will say, because he was, he came at 36 weeks and four days. So he came about a month early. But if you, anyone listening to this, if you have had a baby early, so he woke up, he woke up around my, and when I say that, like he started crying like a month on his due date, which was my husband's birthday was September 25th. He, we were at his, his um, grandparents' house and then all of a sudden the witching hours started coming and I was like, what is going on? He was, you know, he's, he's still perfect, but I was like, this baby was quiet, like slept. So yeah. So like I was getting wonky in my sobriety there and I had to get myself back together in a sense of, cause it was about four months. I stopped my personal development. I stopped my meditation. I stopped my gratitude journal, which was all okay. Because when you become a new mom, your world is turned upside down. But I started getting a little wonky and the thought of drinking alcohol sounded really good. A lot of women ramp up their drinking um, even more after kids. And oh my gosh, they're just like, I don't know what happened. And I'm like, I do. (laughs) But I have to say that in that moment, I will never forget it. There was one night and yes, my husband and I, we were like 3 a.m. yelling, fuck you down the hallway to one another, like like having the vacuum on trying to get CJ to stop. Oh my God. What is with the husbands that they lay there with the baby screaming pretending they're asleep i'm like i let him. anyway moving right. on that was many moons ago yes and and it was i was up with him at like two one night and i was sitting there rocking him and i just remember i was like this is why women drink and it like broke me in a way because for the first time in a very long time well for the first time ever I could empathize towards women, moms in particular, of why they drink more than they do after becoming a mom. I got it. I I got it. And it only took me, you know, I think at that point it was like, I think he was like around three, three months. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And all that is to say, if you drink more when you had a baby or after um, than you did before, a lot of us feel like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I'm the worst mother ever, X, Y, Z. There's nothing worse than waking up with a baby, a toddler, a little kid crying when you have a brutal hangover or not waking up when they're screaming and having your spouse be like, dude, what was up? You know, you couldn't wake up and you were not pretending like your husband is. Um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it happens and it's mm-hmm. normal and it's understandable. So there was a little bit of a tangent. Sorry. So first 90 days, stay connected to your why. So uh, my why, I did the same thing. And I think a lot of people do it when they're still drinking, or at least I did. I don't know if anyone listening has written themselves the letter after they drank the next day when they feel terrible. And my why was, I think, less, more boring than yours, you know, meaning mine was like, I want to stop feeling shaky. I I felt like I couldn't cope with life. I felt like I literally could not cope with one more thing between work and house and kids and life. Um, I wanted my husband to stop asking me how I was feeling in the morning because I wanted to stop not remembering stuff that happened at night and trying to pretend that I did. 
I wanted to stop passing out. I wanted to stop having bloodshot, watery eyes. I wanted to the 3 a.m. wake-ups. So it wasn't meaning externally dramatic, like, you know, you were like, I threatened to kill my boyfriend twice. Mm-hmm. But it was still like a death of a thousand cuts. And to me, that was still really meaningful. I mean, this, I felt like, I felt like I was going to fuck up my life and my marriage and my kids and my health, and it was going to be my fault. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And, you know, I know a lot of people have a hard time with the word rock bottom, but this is how I look at the word rock bottom. It's when you finally say enough is enough, whether enough is enough with alcohol. Do I want to continue of just what you said? Like, yeah, it wasn't the, the, you know, (laughs) threatening your boyfriend's life, which I just want to add. He is now my husband. today. I know. I know. So we do you want to like, yeah, like it, it just comes to the point of like, how do you want to live this life? Do you, how do you want to show up? Do you want to keep showing up like a pig person like I was, or do you want to keep showing up like with, if you even just have increased anxiety or like, dude, this is holding me back from my full potential. Yeah. You talked about it earlier. When you do quit drinking alcohol, your world opens up. It's like, the gates open up where you're like, oh my God, I lived a very limited life for so long because I put limitations on where I went out, who I went out with, but you know, what I watched, whatever the, the case may be that you limited it because what had the most control over you was alcohol and alcohol stopped from you you know, being able to do things, whether it's because you could, you didn't want to drive or you were nervous to go into a new place because it made you feel uncomfortable and you were fine just hanging out at the restaurant down the corner of the street, like whatever it is. Or like, can I order another glass of wine? Is it weird? Am I drinking too much? I just, you know, I'm going to leave and go home and open a bottle of wine there. Or can they tell? Or for me, like, coming home for a date night, like how much do I pay the babysitter? Am I calculating it? I don't want to underpay her. So I would always overpay her mm-hmm. and like, didn't want her to I bet she mom. loved you. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> like mom comes home drunk and pays me way too much. Like right. how embarrassing. Right. But like, mm-hmm. yep. I was in like, I'm sure she can't tell. Oh my God. She could totally tell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or even too with alcohol, like a failed relationships or shots you didn't give because you were under the influence and were like, no, I mean, even this kind of gets a little bit deeper, but like, even like, you know, of what a person has experienced or like always going towards those bad girls or bad boys and not giving, not giving a nice guy a shot because you were diluted with alcohol. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. 
It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. Or I was hungover at pretty much, I mean, I drank all the time, but like every job interview I ever had, I was kind of hungover because I was like, quote unquote, nervous the night before. So I would actually drink more the night before, which is so messed up. Like Mm -hmm. in my mind, it was just a self-sabotage. Yeah. And that's what it is because a lot of it, it's it's, uh, at some point in our life, because as you know, as a coach too, you know, a lot of this has to do with limiting mindset yes. and a mindset shift. And there's at some point in your life, you picked up these mindsets and these limiting beliefs where you don't feel like you're good enough because your mom or dad told you weren't, or your brother told you weren't, or you had a teacher in the fifth grade who told you you weren't smart enough. And then these stories stuck. And then also too, if you add in trauma, everybody's got their own type of a trauma. And then you believe alcohol helps you. Yes. But the thing is then too, once you start getting into that drinking mode and once alcohol has, you hit the point of no return because there are people who can drink normally. Good for them. But for millions upon millions upon millions of us for years and years and years and decades, we cannot. (laughs) And then you start experience, then you start creating the drinking, the trauma drinking. And the trauma that goes involved involved in your drinking days, I mean, because you were under the influence, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, like that happened. Would that have happened if I wasn't drinking? Yeah. You know, would I put myself into that situation? So, and to just the shame cycle, when you live that over and over and over again, again, I'm just throwing this out there. It's almost like you're creating like complex PTSD. And then you have to go through that as well each day. Like, oh, I feel like this every day. Yeah. So the first thing, the most important thing in the first 90 days that will help you is knowing your why. And you have journal prompts around figuring out what that is. What else is helpful in terms of like getting getting clear on why you're doing this? Well, I definitely think Sometimes you can't overanalyze it, right? Like you just have to go day one, like, okay, I'm not going to drink today. What else is going to help with that is it's, it might sound easier said than done, but I just want people to stick with this in their mind of the simple fact of, well, to stop future tripping. And in that meaning that I don't want that you have to stop thinking of your brother's wedding that's going to happen in Italy five years down the road when currently, in this day, your brother doesn't even have a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance. You know, there's there's none of that. But you're thinking of all the scenarios that's going to happen down the road and how you are going to be 
without alcohol. So with that, we have to stop that type of thinking because it's very helpful and it's just very important for everybody to take it a day at a time. Also to, to help start in the first 90 days is also clean out your home. Stop, stop, stop. Because a lot of people do this. Stop hoarding wine or beer that you still have in your house. Throw it out. If you're living with somebody who is a drinker, because this will happen, you need to ask them like, hey, can we please not have alcohol in the house anymore until I'm comfortable with it down the road? And I have to say this. My husband gave up drinking with me. Matthew did not have a problem, but he just got to a point in his life where he was just, he was like, I'm, I'm done. Um, he would have two drinks and have a, a hangover. So it didn't really, it didn't really impact him like it did me. And to this day, you know, I'm like, if you ever want to go back to drinking, you can have drinks. I was like, but at this point, I don't want it in our home. Like that, even at 11 years, I don't want it in our home. I just don't. And so I think that that's fair to ask a person. And if they're like, well, no, then be like, okay, can then you just hide it from me? Yeah. Or put it in the garage where I cannot see it. But like, stop with, with, you know, letting go of the couple bottles of wine that you have in the fridge or or the the Jameson bottle you have up in the cabinet that like your grandma gave you five years ago. Just, my recommendation, just because my husband still does drink, mm-hmm. um, is very similar to yours, which is get the alcohol out of the house mm-hmm. um, because you are going to have a weak moment. Like, I feel like it's the elephant in the room. You know where it is at every moment, even if you white knuckle it mm-hmm. through the first week, the first two weeks, you know, like my client, you're going to have three bad things happen, you're going to want to drink. And if it is not at arm's reach, you will get through that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. If you have to actually get in the car and drive somewhere and buy it and just have all those moments to like pause in between. I asked my, I didn't tell my husband all the stuff about, oh my God, I'm worried about my drinking, yada, yada, yada. I just was like, pretending that it was like one of my million health kicks. So I was like, I'm not drinking for X amount of time. I need to not have wine in the house because it's really hard for me. You know, I love it. Please don't bring me wine home. And can we not have it around? Mm -hmm. And um, he really annoyed me when he drank around me. But um, to this day, I don't have wine in my home Mm -hmm. because I don't drink wine. And he was a beer guy. So he could, it didn't like kill him to not have wine at home. He basically drank wine with me. So he was like, all right, we don't have wine in our home. He still has beer. I have my NA beer. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're able to get all the alcohol out of the house, great. You know, in my mind, like when I went on my million, like, oh my God, I'm going to eat healthy and work out six Mm -hmm. times a day. Like my husband ate salmon and asparagus and salad and he really would have preferred a burger and fries. Like Mm -hmm. your partner does stuff for you all the time. So it's not too much to ask. Yeah. And it's not. And I think people get very, um, you know, they get scared to ask because that's also part of a conditioning of where they don't want to fully also to admit that they had a problem or it was never about them. So asking for help is very difficult for people to do. So, but if you live with a person, even if you live with a roommate, like, hey, dude, this is just, this is what I'm doing going forward. And also like, 
clean up your house and your surrounding, even if that's just going out and using the money you would have spent that $50 on alcohol, go buy yourself a pillow and put it in the chair that you used to drink in and spruce Mm -hmm. up that area, sage the area, like, and create more of a calm environment. Because I will tell you this, go buy some candles, like some aromatherapy, but make your living space um, a sanctuary because it would be, it will be easier than to be able to not drink in that into something that makes you feel good. Yeah. My, my, I used to only go to my bedroom to like pass out. Um, I had done every other room in the house except my bedroom. And so after I stopped drinking, I, you know, got new bedding and I got cute little turquoise lamps and I got, curtains that were lovely and I got an essential oil diffuser and I just like you know like the nice sheets the really nice sheets Mm -hmm. and those were like my sober treats and so I went up there and I'm like oh this is so I mean especially in February where it's dark I mean it was dark anyway I was just like okay I'm not doing my favorite thing in the world which is drinking on the couch watching TV shows I won't remember, but I'm in this lovely space and I'm sleeping through the night and my skin looks better, you know? And you start feeling good because you want to do each day, you want to start doing things that make you feel good each day. And that doesn't mean that you have to go out and buy all the things. Even if you just take your ass out on a walk and walk for 30 minutes, your mood will instantly change. Like, so what you know, even too, that's where morning and nighttime routines are so wonderful because it's, it's helping you get into a new habit, a new way of living. It's rewiring your brain also, but it's doing things that are going to make you feel good. Like all of those creams and face washes you have bought throughout the years and drunken nights on the internet, or if you're a QVC person, whatever the case may be, or you went on a drunken shopping spree to make yourself feel better, start using that stuff. Start using it in sobriety and like, again, use it up and be like, oh, okay, this, this does feel good. Or take all the nights where you didn't even take off your makeup. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Right. Right. Like people are like, I'm really into my evening skin routine. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. So what, give me a couple examples of like good evening routines and good morning routines that, that you like to recommend. Yeah. And, and in, in, cause I wrote this book when my son was about eight months old and then just a couple months after he turned a year. So I give examples of pre child and post child because Perfect. I was not, that's I amazing. Not, yeah. I was not so far away from, you know, I wasn't like 10 years into motherhood. I could still remember, but, um, morning, good morning routine. Uh, this is where too I find people get a lot tripped up because they think that they have to spend hours upon hours on their morning routine, and it's just not the case. A um, good morning routine would to get out of bed, make your bed. If you want to wash your face, brush your teeth, then put on your clothes for the day. Do some. I know people. This is going to freak people out. Meditation. Look into it. <laughs> some personal development. Read some pages, like ten ten pages a day. And then write in your gratitude journal, just three things that you're grateful for. You don't have to write paragraphs of things that you're grateful for. I just write, you know, five things. I do it now five, but then I did about three. And that can be your morning routine. And then go off and have your coffee or have your coffee during that time. And, or if you need to work out, like then work out 
and then get on with your day. You know, don't spend five hours on what you think a morning routine could be. A nice nighttime one. This is really good too for anybody who especially is an empath or a highly sensitive person. Take a shower at night. Stop showering in the morning times. Take a shower at night and then it feels so much better just to kind of release that energy that you collected on the day. And so you can shower, put your jammies on, light your oil diffuser or your incense. Um, and then you can watch some shows, read a book, and then meditate. If you want to do your meditation at night and get yourself into bed, obviously turn your phone off about an hour and a half before you go to bed. So, mm -hmm. so just easy. Also too, I have to say with the nighttime routine for me, I always clean the kitchen before I go upstairs. That really yeah. starts my nighttime routine. Yeah. And when your kids get older, my son's in charge of all the dishes. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. Just like a lot of times we do everything ourselves, like start mm -hmm. outsourcing that stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. They may not do it the way you want to do it, but at least they'll give you a 75% start on it. Mm -hmm. Love the morning routine. I was never a meditator or a reader in the morning myself. So mm -hmm. my morning routine was sort of like, some days a week, I would get up and work out. I'm a big sort of class workout person yep. with coffee. And I always used to love walking in the house in the morning, feeling like I'd already done that. I mean, I'm sure I was super annoying to my family because I had been up for an hour. So I was like, hey, coffee's ready. Da, da, da. You know, like all that. But trust me, I was never that way when I was hungover. And then the second thing, I'm sure I was super annoying coming into the house and being all perky. On the days I didn't do that, I would just get up in the quiet house and drink my coffee on the couch and just sort of revel in the quiet and in feeling good. Um, so that's good. I love the gratitude. I did the gratitude stuff, especially when I came home from working out. I just sat down and wrote down three things. But I stopped doing that. And I always know I should get back to it. Do you still do that? Yes. I, but when I first got sober, here's the thing. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't into, to that, but uh, into writing in a journal. But what I did was I woke up every day and I said, thank you for another day of sobriety. Okay. So that's what I, before my feet even hit the ground, that was like, cause then it would be like, oh, I made us. Yeah. But yes, I still do it. The only time, and I've been doing consistent meditation and, per, and reading and personal development and, and that stuff. I've been consistently doing that since about 2015. The only mm -hmm. time that I took a break from it was, of course, for those couple months with my son. But yeah, I still do yeah. it. And, and even too, like if I don't, if some reason I can't do it in the morning time, I'll do it at nighttime. Like it's almost because that's what happens with habits it gets yeah. so ingrained in you where it's like even if you do it that you don't do it that morning it's like yeah. something's off yeah and yeah. I also think that for me the gratitude is you know everyone's like quote-unquote supposed to and it's totally true to be like thank I think you know I'm grateful for healthy children and I'm grateful for like a roof over my head which is fabulous and wonderful I thought it was really helpful to focus on the little things. Like, I'm really grateful that that mom is picking up my kid today. I'm really grateful 
that the coffee was amazing. I'm grateful that I had that really nice conversation with my friend at my morning workout. I'm grateful that my son said, I love you and gave me the biggest hug this morning, like the little small things. And I think that noticing those things, like making sure to notice those things because you're writing them down actually rewires your brain Mm -hmm. from resentment, from defensiveness to something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times warm, hot coffee has been on my gratitude list, you know? Oh my God. Right. It's, and sex, like, you know, my son smiling at me, a warm house in a, in a Michigan winter. <laughs> yeah. So it can be very big and it can be very just because it, what happens to you with gratitude is eventually it becomes like that, where it becomes smaller and smaller little things where you're like, oh, and then once you start writing it down and making a practice of it, then when you're actually in a present moment with a child or a loved one where you're like, you say to yourself, I'm so grateful for this moment and yes. that you don't take advantage of shit anymore. You know, I really think that people, the first couple years of sobriety should be writing down that they're grateful for their sobriety every year or every day because it keeps sticking in your head and in your soul. Like I am, I am a. Um, person living without alcohol. I'm sober. And I did it a slightly different way. So the way I did it was, and my coach taught me this was like sober treats and rewiring sort of romanticizing sobriety because we spend so much time romanticizing alcohol. Mm -hmm. So the idea was more like when I would drink coffee in the morning without a hangover in this gorgeous quiet house and with little kids, you guys know that any quiet moment alone is gorgeous. Right. Um, I would be like, this is my treat for being sober. Like you were like, I'm grateful for sobriety. So I would just, this is my treat for being sober. No headache, no hangover up early, this moment, drinking coffee, this moment of peace, or, you know, getting a massage at work, taking the money I would spend on alcohol and inst- and having that be my reward instead going, this woman came in twice a week to my office. She would be like, Oh, do you want lavender or do you want X and give me a massage? And I would, I would be on the little massage chair and I would be like, this, this moment is my treat for being sober. So you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're a different, system. but the same idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause that is the thing. Cause drinking becomes a very, uh, it becomes a very dysfunctional reward system. Yes. So you do have to look at like the mornings hangover free. And again, being almost 11, it's like to this day, every Saturday I have woken up. I'm like, I am so grateful. I am because Fridays ended up towards my end of my drinking days. Fridays were my drinking days. And I'm like, I am so happy to not feel like a bag of dicks on a Saturday afternoon where I'm like sleeping and dry heaving on the floor. Like, because when you do this in a healthy way, each week I used to reflect upon a part of my drinking days and usually one of the negative experiences because that helps me push forward to a place that I wanted. I never wanted to go back to. And I think that's important for people like don't sweep your drinking days under the mat. Remember where drinking alcohol took you because when, you know, I just said a quote the other day on sober vibes, like when alcohol shows you who it is, 
and how it impacts your body, believe it. It's not, it's not changing. It is not changing. It will never go back to how it was when you were 19 years old drinking it for funsies in Windsor, Ontario. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. I feel you. Oh my God. But even in the beginning when I drank, I was like pretty quickly blackout, hungover, throwing Mm -hmm. up. Like that was, that was what I did. Mm -hmm. But you can recover from that a lot easier at 18 and 19 than you can at like 30 and 40. Yeah. Like, and it was for me at 25. My hangovers change. I remember that because that's when I started to get on panic attacks. After a night of drinking and where I was and it happened more and more. And I was like, what happened to me? Because I used to be fine and like be able to continue to drink like no problem. But like after 25, for me, that's when those hangovers changed into just like death. Yeah. Well, so I want to make sure we get to cover all the good stuff. Is there anything else that you think in the first 90 days people, it would be really helpful to know what to expect that we yeah. haven't covered. Well, I wanted to say that of, of not e- with the know of the expectation to expect. I also want people to understand that support is key. Yes, you can do it by yourself, but it's going to make it a lot easier. Everybody can do hard things, but nobody really has to do hard things alone. And to find a support group around you, whether that's you decide to go to 12-step programs, whether that's you decide to join online communities, 
you decide to do one-on-one coaching with person, or you have a friend who is sober and you guys get on a weekly meetup to go get coffee, um, or your spouse or roommate decides to quit drinking with you, you need some type of support. So 100%. that is a, a huge expectation that you should, you should find someone or something or group or whatever to help support you because it is night and day difference. If you're talking to your husband who still drinks, there he's never going to understand your desire, your romanticism with alcohol, that toxic relationship, that thinking where sometimes those thoughts last all day long. He's never going to understand that. But if you have someone like yourself or me or a group of people who have been where you are and yeah. like, yep, yep, it sucks. It fucking sucks. But plus, like, that's a key component of behavior change, too. Like, I love the book Atomic Habits. So, A, you need someone to be like, oh, my God, this is so fucking hard and this sucks and I want to cry because I want to drink so hard. Mm -hmm. You need people who say, oh, my God, you've gone nine days alcohol free and Mm -hmm. kind of get that that may be longer than you've gone in two years. And that's incredible. And you also, you know, with behavior change, James Clear says this, that if you surround yourself with drinkers, which most of us do, Mm -hmm. um, there is a huge pull just as human beings to fit in and be accepted. Mm -hmm. And so that pull will also often bring you back to drinking. You can supplement that by adding people to your social circle, even online right? They don't have to be in person where the behavior you want to institute is the behavior that is rewarded with acceptance and positive feedback. And that can be anything from like, I'm not a CrossFit person, but like joining a CrossFit group where you're like, oh my God, I did X, Y, Z. And they're like, you are fucking badass. Like you are incredible. That's awesome. Where you see someone else doing it and you're like, I want to be like that person. Mm -hmm. So doing that with alcohol-free life is so helpful too, where you're like, oh my God, I did X, Y, Z for the first time. I went camping with a group of friends, alcohol-free, and they were like, you fucking rock. You're a badass. You inspired me. Mm-hmm. And that is so different than your friends when you're camping being like, oh my God, why aren't you drinking? Like that pull for acceptance and validation is real. And you need that from a group. Mm-hmm. Right. And keep in mind too, that like attracts like, and that, yeah, you might be the only friend who's not drinking, but give it time. Because then you will start attracting people into your life who are alcohol free, or you'll have a friend who is like, oh, "Can you help me get sober?" Yes, like it. It all, but it all happens within time. So you just have to stay the course. And even to you know, getting into just another thing of expectations is nobody. Uh, well, it's very rare. I don't want to say nobody, but it's very extremely rare for someone to say. I'm going to quit drinking alcohol and they don't have a relapse or a bump in the road. So it's about 80% of people who enter in sobriety will relapse. And you are not, because I think for a long time, there's been like shame around a relapse and pointing the fingers and like, you got to go back to day one, like, and whether you're a counter or not day counter, you just learn from the relapse, learn what happened. Did you not have support around you this time? 
were you hanging? Did you decide to go out to a happy hour with coworkers and you just weren't mentally strong enough to handle that environment? Just because you aren't that day doesn't mean that you won't down the road. And you have to look on what happened and learn from it. Pick yourself up that day and continue to move forward. Don't let it take you down a rabbit hole. Don't shame yourself. Don't say, I I failed. There's no pass fail in the sobriety and road recovery. I mean, people relapse after 5, 7, 10, 15 years of not drinking. People think they can go back to it and it's going to be different this time. And it never works out that, that way. So the empowered relapse is to let go of the shame of it and learn from it and move forward. Yeah. And I, I personally like don't even use the word relapse, right? Because it's such a like, for me, it's loaded, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, okay, either you slipped Mm -hmm. or you went back into the drinking cycle. Like those are the two ways that I think about it. And at the same time, I completely agree with you. Like shame and blame totally doesn't work, but you need to learn from it, right? And it's Mm -hmm. the idea of like, I want to build this new behavior. I want to build this new habit. It is the person I want to be. Mm -hmm. And something drew me back to like, self-sabotage from this goal I have, this important goal, this why I have. And so like, what was it? What was it that I didn't have enough support? What was I feeling? What was I wanting that I went back to this like old habit? So I completely and totally agree with you. Like it's a learning process. I think I've read that like most people who are sober curious, are worried about their alcohol, believe they need to stop, want to take a break. It takes on average seven years from yeah. like that first like, oh no, damn, mm, this isn't working out so well to like sustaining that behavior long term. And that, does, by the way, if you're not, if it doesn't take you that long, thank God you're yeah. a badass. Like you are like springing ahead of everyone and you're going to feel better and do more, et cetera. But I think I had 10 years from mm-hmm. when I first was like, yikes, do I have a problem with alcohol? Is this a thing that I really, you know, trying to control it, trying to moderate, taking my first attempts to stop getting the first support to like the last time I drank seven and a half years later. So mm-hmm. it's a learning process. And mm-hmm. I love that you said that. Yeah, I, it took me from 25 to 29. I tried, I tried making it work. No shots. I'm not going to drink whiskey anymore. I need to, um, I need to eat something because we know Courtney gets fucked up if she does not eat. You know, it's just like all of the things I tried. I tried taking a week off. I, I think the longest I went was three weeks. I was like, see, I don't have a problem. Oh, God. It was always, I always ended up where I left off. So, yeah, so it takes some time and that's the whole thing. And, and, and I've just seen it too many times where people beat themselves up and shame themselves. And it's like, that's making it worse. You can't hate yourself well, right? Right. And it's just like, you know, it's so easy. It's so easy on how much alcohol is embedded into ingrained into our society. It's everywhere. Like, so you just have to give yourself some more love and, yeah. you know, there's people out there who believe in you and that, that know that you can do this. Yeah. Well, I know I could talk to you all day. 
I thank you so much for everything you've covered. I think we dug a lot into your first 90 days of sobriety, what to expect, tools, you know, how you can handle relapse, a slip, going back to the drinking cycle in an empowered way and touched a little bit on how to socialize sober, how to talk to people, how to expand your social circle, how to say no, what not to do, other ways to socialize. Your book is incredible. You know, we could talk about all the tools for like four hours, but since we can't, I highly recommend people buy Sober Vibes. It's out. Will you tell everyone how to get the book, how to find you, how to find your podcast, all the good stuff? Sure. So um, you can get Sober Vibes, a guide to thriving in your first three months without alcohol. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can visit my website, CourtneyRecovered.com, and it has other places where you can order it from. Um, I hang out. I party most on Instagram at Sober Vibes. Um, my, my podcast is Sober Vibes on all of the podcast apps. Um, and then of course you can visit my website, CourtneyRecovered.com. And then, you know, I also too have a Facebook group for, uh, females only. So that is something too, you can, can look into. And if you're interested in coaching, you can fill out an application on my website. Perfect. Perfect. I am so glad you came on. Congratulations on the book. I know that is a huge effort and a huge mm-hmm. accomplishment and a really useful, accessible way for people to get information and tips and tools to start their journey. So thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.